2: Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.
1: This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates' national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations.
2: You've been the guy that's been called different things and you're washed up or whatever. You've heard things on the field, off the field. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna be honest. I didn't know I'd been called washed up yet. So that's a new injuries. One. Injuries. Um, Sorry. I don't read a lot of the newspapers. Obviously, you want everyone to view you in this awesome light and through this perfect lens, but that's not gonna be the case. And so, you take everything with a grain of salt, and you learn from it, and um, you know, try and be better next time.
1: Isn't it amazing that none of these pro athletes ever read the newspapers yet? When it serves their interest to say no one believes in us, they are acutely aware of everything that everyone has said, including things that no one said.
0: Yeah, well, I haven't read a newspaper either since I used to steal them from uh, (laughs) my mom and take them on the bus when I was in second grade. So come on, Carson. I mean, nobody, nobody believes that. I don't. Every time an athlete's like, "I don't read. I don't know what anybody says." Like, come on, man. Like, either yes, you do. It doesn't matter if you read it or not, or you want to say you read it or not. You know what people are saying because you're on social media, and I don't believe it when any athlete says they don't know what's going on. They just say that because that's what they're trained to say. They're robots.
1: You you, you, you broke up there a little bit. Since the theme of the past week or so on this show has been true confessional. I confessed to peeing in the garbage can when I was a kid. Sims confessed what? to dropping a hamburger. That's a – a, at least you at least i know you don't watch the show sims confessed to uh uh, cartoons were on and i forgot the okay let me just in case anybody out there wonders and since miles didn't see it i was five years old there was cartoons on once a week saturday morning i'd wake up i'd forget to go to the bathroom i was so excited to come down and watch cartoons i started watching cartoons and it hit me that i had to pee so i'd run into the kitchen and pee in the garbage can uh i was five uh and, and I really was five. So I confess that. Sims confessed to peeing off the porch to try to kill the grass. He confessed to dropping the hamburger. But you, you're trying to deflect. Who were you stealing a newspaper from when you were in second grade? Oh, my mother.
0: Because like, it it's her paper. So, you know, then she'd complain about it because I would want to read scores. And look, at. I was the kid... And this is how old I am, but how young I am. Like I was probably of that last generation where you looked at the paper and you saw the box score and you know you wanted to know how many hits Maynard Ramirez had the night before. So that's that's what I would do. I would steal the sports page and I would take it to school. And then my mom would be like, Where's my sports page? And I had it.
1: That's a gutsy move because yeah. in my household, and it sounds like it was the same in yours, the, the newspaper was sacred. The newspaper yeah. was the window to the world, it, and, and I know in the 70s it definitely was. When you were growing up, it still had some significance, but that's that's a gutsy move. Uh, th- that That's the kind of thing that if I had ever done that, there would have been some very swift discipline uh, exacted, and it would have been the only time I ever stole the newspaper. I didn't even try that when I was a smartass and got spanked all the time for that, but I never actually stole the newspaper. All right, uh, back to Wentz. The... Uh, Look, I, I, it is gutsy to ask him, you know, he's kind of washed up. I mean, I wouldn't say it, it is injuries that were the issue, but something happened in 2020 that was not related to injuries. That's the great mystery with Carson Wentz. Yeah, he got injured in 2017 when he was on track to be the NFL MVP. Yeah, 2018, he was still getting over that. And then he had the back problem. 2019. He, he was great. He was the only guy that was healthy down the stretch. He took the Eagles from 5-7 and seven to 9-7. and seven. They got in the playoffs, and he had the illegal hit from Jadavian Clowney. There was neither flag nor fine that gave him a concussion. Um, but last year he was healthy, and it all fell apart. So that's the great mystery for the Colts. Before they get caught up in all this, and Jim Ursay, the owner of the team, what a surprise. He's already super optimistic about the team under Carson Wentz. you got to figure out. What happened last year, whether it was a fluke or whether this is just where he is in his football career after five years in the NFL, Miles?
0: I, I think it's great that he feels comfortable with Frank Reich, and I think it's great that he is trying to focus on everything going forward and all that, but I think at the same time, it's impossible, basically, to ignore what he did and how badly that he looked in last year's games. And I just look at the sack numbers because, yes, a lot of times we put sacks on the offensive line, and we always talk about pass protection, and pass protection has to get better and all that. But he was sacked seven or more times thrice. Not once, not twice, thrice. How does that happen? And how do you then say, I'm going to magically get better Going through my progressions and not holding on to the ball. That that's weird. It's why he was sacked fifty times in only twelve games, and Deshaun Watson was sacked forty nine times, and that only happened. then that happened in sixteen. He was sacked once more per game. That's a lot. That's on Carson Wentz, and I just I don't know that anything is magically going to solve that just by going to a head coach you're comfortable with.
1: Reich was the offensive coordinator in Philly when Wentz played his best football. Here's Wentz from yesterday talking about that reunion you mentioned with Frank Reich.
2: Getting to work with him for two years and uh, not just the personal side of things, which we knew we, you know, we had a great relationship with that, but the X's and O's of football and how we see the game and how we um, can kind of have healthy discussions and disagreements, but really challenge each other and um, ultimately make each other better. It was it was a lot of fun and. Uh, you know, I look forward that, you know, that's something I'm super excited about getting to work with him again, because I have the utmost respect for for the man that he is, um, you know, the friend that he's been for, to me as well, but also the coach that he is as well.
1: When it was clear things were falling apart for Wentz in Philadelphia, Indianapolis was the only play. And really, if the Eagles didn't have Indianapolis and Frank right there, I don't know what they would have gotten for Carson Wentz. Would they have had to have done a Brock Osweiler hot potato trade? Where you give up net trade assets to get the contract off your roster they may have had to do that and and i can't help but wonder miles whether to some extent when things began to fracture in philly whence specifically concluded at some level i want to get back with frank reich and philip rivers he's the quarterback now he goes after this year i slide into indianapolis as as a human being at some point over the course of the 2020 season, I don't think it's unreasonable to think Carson Wentz had that idea, had that notion and ultimately that aspiration to get a reunion with Frank Reich.
0: Well, oh, of course. And that's why I think he said in that presser that it was about the Green Bay game when he was benched, that he felt like that's when he knew it probably wasn't going to work in uh, Philadelphia for him. And I mean, I guess it took him that long, but okay. Then if it's at that point, then you're like, man, where else could I go? Maybe have some success. Hmm. You know, I look around the league, where are the guys that I'm comfortable with? The, the, the only conclusion has to be Indianapolis because it's somebody that you worked with and somebody who you feel like brought the best out of you. And I guess the only thing was, well, is Philip Rivers going to be there or not going forward. And so probably when Philip Rivers retired and announced that retirement so soon after the 2020 season, Carson Wentz's eyes probably just lit up and his ears probably perked up. And he was like, wow, if I can get myself there, then then I can probably really resurrect my career in a way that's going to be beneficial for everybody. So it's worked out for him so far. Let's see if it works out for him on the field because that's really, I think, where the true test is going to be.
1: And and one thing we know is there's always something going on behind the scenes. And once Frank Reich thought maybe he's going to get Carson Wentz, that may have accelerated the retirement decision of Philip Rivers if the Colts made it clear they were ready to move on. And this is a better situation for them long term because it was one more year max with Rivers. It's multiple years. It's 10 more years potentially with Wentz if they can get this figured out. Wentz was also asked yesterday whether or not he specifically requested a trade from the Eagles. Here's the question with the answer from Carson Wentz.
2: Are you saying you didn't want to be traded? I'm not saying one way or another, you know, there's a lot of conversations, a lot of things that, that kind of shook out. And as it played out, you know, this is, this is what went down and and I'm, I'm excited about it. I'll tell you that much.
0: Was there a moment Carson where you felt that maybe it just was there, was there, was it in Green Bay? Like, was there just a moment where you felt like, you know what, maybe it's just time for, for a fresh start? Was there a moment?
2: Um, I mean, um, Green I mean, Bay was probably the moment that I realized, you know, this might not be it. You know, when anytime you're pulled, you, you don't know what's, you don't know what's, am I going to go back out next week, next drive? Like, I had no idea. Um, and so all of those things go through your mind, but try and not overthink it. You know, try and just be in the moment, do what I can. Um, obviously frustrated to not be playing, but at the same time trying to be there for my teammates and do everything I can to help help the team win and um, but yeah, those thoughts definitely you know creep in once once you're benched and that's just how it unfolded.
1: Wentz has found a way to fashion almost a Clark Kent Superman type of a dichotomy here where he's managed to keep the high road and never have to say anything that anyone could criticize him for. When it was obvious during the season, Miles, someone from the Wentz camp was repeatedly leaking things like the relationship with Doug Peterson is fractured beyond repair. Carson Wentz wants out of Philadelphia. Carson Wentz and, Frank, and, and Doug Peterson didn't speak for weeks, a claim that still is implausible. Eight, nine, ten weeks. How can the quarterback and the head coach not speak for eight, nine or ten weeks when he was only benched for the last four weeks of the season? But somebody was stirring it up with or without Wentz's consent when Wentz was the guy who never said anything that was remotely controversial. But it's, it's clear now in hindsight, he wanted out and he got out. And now there's no reason to look backward. He looks forward and let's see if he can be the guy that the Eagles thought he was when they traded up, thought he was early in his career, and thought he was when they kept him instead of Nick Foles and paid Carson Wentz $33.5 million a year.
0: Yeah, he kind of reminded me of Mark McGuire in that old congressional hearing, you know, I'm not here to talk about the past, when he's just like, I don't know what to say if I'm going to, if I requested a trade one way or the other, but look, if. This works, then it's one of the most masterful jobs that I think any quarterback has done when he's in the middle of a contract to get himself out of one situation and put himself in another situation where he thinks he can be successful. And, you know, it's, I think you're absolutely right. It's almost impossible to think that the coach and the quarterback weren't speaking. How do you not speak to the coach? How does, how does that even work? You know, how are you implementing a game plan? He's calling the plays. Don't you guys have to figure out something that works for both of you because that's how you have job security? And I guess that's why both of them both don't have jobs in Philadelphia anymore. So, yeah, it's, it's a, it was a bad situation, I think, for everybody in Philadelphia. And now both of these guys, the, the team, and then uh, Carson Wentz himself, they both get fresh starts.
1: And, and look, look it's, it's possible that what Shefty meant when he said that on 97.5 the fanatic in Philly was they weren't communicating away from the field. What happens is no. you speak one way on TV when you are are fully aware and conscious of the fact that everything you say can and will be used against you. You get into a looser, more comfortable radio setting. Sometimes you're not as buttoned up, and sometimes things come out in a way that, that are easier to scrutinize and criticize. So I always prefer those when it's someone else and not me. Uh, So I can scrutinize and criticize, but it always was implausible that they didn't speak for eight, nine or 10 weeks, but maybe they just, they stopped speaking away from the meeting room and the practice field and, uh, and the stadiums. Howie Roseman, the Eagles GM also spoke yesterday as the Eagles turned the page from Carson Wentz to Jalen Hurts, plus whoever Nick Sirianni, the new head coach spoke as well. Here's a little something from both of them about the most important position on their football team. Um, like Coach said, um, and he reminds me daily, we only have one quarterback on our roster, so it's definitely not going to stay that way. Um, and we've always uh, tried to value that position and, and to have depth at that position. And um, I don't see any of that changing here as we go forward. That's nothing that that we would be comfortable with. Um, we want to have a really strong quarterback room. Uh, we feel like um, we have incredible coaches uh, on the offensive side of the ball and defensive side of the ball who can maximize quarterback play, and so um, we're going to look at, at the free agent market, we're going to look at the trade market, and we're certainly going to look at the draft to try to strengthen that position.
2: We feel like good offensive football is catering to your players, particularly first and, for- and foremost, your quarterback. So, of course, we're looking at different things uh, that, that- – you know, that fit our offensive scheme, but then also what our quarterbacks do well. And, and, you know, right now, our quarterback on our team, all right, we have one quarterback on our team. So we're thinking about Jalen and, and the things that, that he does well.
1: Here's the challenge for the Eagles. And I, I know there was a report not long ago that Jeffrey Lurie, the owner of the team, wants Hurts to be the guy and doesn't want competition. Um, the, the problem is you're sitting there with the sixth pick in the draft. Are you thinking about a quarterback? Or are you not thinking about a quarterback? Well, whatever you're thinking about, you want people to think the opposite. If you're not thinking of a quarterback, you want people to think you are thinking about a quarterback because you'd rather have as many quarterbacks drafted as possible before you're on the clock. If you are thinking of quarterbacks, there you want teams to think you're not. So, maximum quarterbacks are on the board when you're at number six. So, it's a delicate time on the NFL calendar to be saying anything. Because every other team is scrutinizing for any clue. So they have the best idea when they do their own internal mock drafts who they think the Eagles would take at number six based on who goes at one through five. Bottom line though is, Miles, it's a fact. The Eagles value the backup quarterback position. They have learned, unlike any other team in recent years, what it means to have a competent number two because the competent number two steps in, whether it was football's version of Slumdog Millionaire, as I said last hour with Nick Foles or something else, you put that guy in there and he leads you to a Super Bowl. So you have to, and, and I've said this time and again, you have to, the Eagles view the backup quarterback position as a top 15 spot on their entire roster. So they got to get somebody else if Hurts is the only guy under contract. And now the challenge is, who's it going to be? And what kind of backup? Is it the backup who thinks he's competing to be the starter or is it the backup who knows he's there for one purpose and that is to help Jalen Hurts be the best starter he can be?
0: Well, I don't know how many guys are like that out there. I guess Alex Smith would be the one guy that like comes to mind where it's backup, but backup to support Jalen Hurts. And I'm sure that there are probably other quarterbacks still on the market, but if there were one guy that fits that mold. I I would have to think that it's him, but just, I mean, from the standpoint of you have the number six overall pick, and there are these quarterbacks who it seems like there are four to six that can really be successful, or at least that people seem to think can really be successful in this league. If you're at number six, overall, you have to do all the due diligence in the world to say, is this quarterback ceiling higher than Jalen hurts? And if the answer is yes, then you probably have to pick that guy at number six overall, or maybe you do the calculation and it's, you know what? We think that we can get, we can trade up, you know, if we use our six pick and then maybe the pick that we're supposed to get from the Colts or whatever it is and we can go up a couple spots and we can get somebody that we think is going to be much better than Jalen Hurts, then I think you have to do it. That's how important the quarterback position is. So they've got to do something at QB, obviously, because as Sirianni said, as Rosen said in those clips, they only have one quarterback on their roster right now, and that's Jalen Hurts. So it depends on really how Sirianni wants to construct the offense and then how they evaluate these QBs that are coming out in the draft and who they can possibly get at number six overall.
1: I remember in 2016, it became clear that the Eagles were very serious about Carson Wentz when Jeffrey Lurie became directly involved in visits, pro days, et cetera. This year, that can't happen. This year, there aren't visits. This year, I mean, you can can have a limited group at the pro days. You're not going to have the private workouts, I don't believe. That's always a very, very viable way to get more information about a guy and get to the point where you're comfortable. I think the problem for the Eagles this year, given that they've, number one, traded Carson Wentz, number two, invested at least the short term in Jalen Hurts, how do you get to the level of comfort that you can upset the Jalen Hurts apple cart and bring in somebody at number six? Because I think Jeffrey Lurie's not going to authorize that pick unless he feels damn comfortable about the player that they would be taking and supplanting Jalen Hurts and maybe making Jalen Hurts a guy who's available in trade somewhere in those 18 hours between the end of round 1 and the start of round 2. So I think that's the practical impediment for the Eagles. It it doesn't apply with the same weight to these other teams because you're, you know, there's three types of teams, Miles. Teams that have franchise quarterbacks and know it teams that don't have franchise quarterbacks and are desperately looking to find one. And the Eagles are currently in that third category, which is we have a guy and we're not quite sure which way it's going to go. If you're not damn sure the guy you're drafting at six is going to be your franchise quarterback, you may be throwing one away in the same theory that you hand off Carson Wentz to a spot where maybe he's going to be as good as he was when he was an MVP candidate for someone that you haven't been able to fully and properly vet. I think that to me tells me, and watch, they're gonna take a quarterback with number six, but that tells me that they won't.
0: Well, it's, I think that point about not being able to fully and properly vet the quarterbacks, at least as you normally would in a non-pandemic year, that probably is gonna have a lot of effects because, I think the consequences of just what the pandemic is right now is just so interesting. Whether it's the depressed cap, and you know, you see all these veterans get cut, and guys are just taking short term deals because they think, well, especially now that we know what the figures are from the t- new TV money, everything is just going to increase in a couple of years and all that. It's very fascinating what this thing might look like for these QBs coming out because as we saw, For Trevor Lawrence's pro day. Urban Meyer standing right there, right in front of him. And that's basically as close as he's going to be able to get to Trevor Lawrence until he picks Trevor Lawrence at number one overall. You're just not going to have that same level of interaction where, you know, you see guys going around in the private plane from the owners and they're working out this QB here and then they're going to that QB there. It's just not the same when you're sitting somewhere looking at a laptop or a tablet or a phone and you're talking to somebody over Zoom. It's just it's not the same as being able to really put a guy on the board one night and then the next day you test him when he's out there on the field on all the concepts that you talked about. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see which teams are going to say, yes, we want to definitely draft a quarterback, even if we don't necessarily need it or we just don't necessarily have that level of vetting that we normally would, and that's why we're not going to do it.
1: We talked last hour about the Chicago quarterback with the base value of $10 million this year and what it means for him as a starter or not with the Bears. In Washington, it's another base contract, although not really 10 It's 9 but with per-game roster bonuses, it gets to 10 It's Ryan Fitzpatrick introduced as the new quarterback in Washington, presumably the starter pending other moves. Here's Fitzpatrick with his introduction to the media as the member of his ninth NFL team.
2: It's interesting that in year 17, I mean, this was the most sought after I had been in my whole career with all this free agency stuff. Um, You know, I think part of it was just the way it went the last two years, the adversity that we fought through as a team and the the thing that, you know, we were able to do to turn it around in Miami. And uh, I'm just, I'm excited. I'm excited to be here. Uh, You know, I I just think moving around so much uh, just there's different things that you see from organizations that you like and you don't like, and you try to carry them with you.
1: Amazing career. For Ryan Fitzpatrick and uh yeah he got plenty of attention he had plenty of interest but at the end of the day it's not a gigantic quarterback contract he's still 35 million south of the top of the market but for a guy who's been around a guy who's gotten paid plenty of money a guy who at one point was the Bills maybe close to almost franchise quarterback before it fell apart there he gets his shot in Washington with a team that won the division a team that is systematically getting better some of the free agency moves like the curtis samuel addition at receiver william jackson at corner sims the big william jackson fan and you've got that great pass rush already in place with chase young this is just a team that that is gradually putting in place better and better and better players in a division that is the worst hit football. And uh, I-, I like this. My only concern with Fitzpatrick, you never know when Fitzmagic becomes Fitztragic, and you better be ready when it does. But uh, it-, it looks like he's going to be the starter in Washington unless some guy that they love falls to them at number 19 in round one.
0: You do love saying Fitztragic. I think anytime that I love I've it. been on this show, and he's always Fitztragic. Oh, look at this. Yeah, he's been in the league for so long and gone to so many different teams. Hey, Mike, did you know that he went to Harvard too? He's an Ivy League I'm guy. I'm not aware of that. i yeah, never yeah, heard that's that. that's really cool. 17 can I,
1: you imagine seventeen years in the NFL and I was never aware that he went to Harvard? Next you're gonna tell me Jerome Bettis is from Detroit.
0: He is. Oh my gosh, no, that's why it was so cool when they played the Super Bowl there. You know, and he was <laughs> right wow, I'm surprised that you didn't know that. As old as you are and covering this league that you have. But yeah, I, forgot, I think I've I've forgotten
1: these things. It's part of being yeah, old. Yeah,
0: I guess so. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I, I think Ryan Fitzpatrick is a good fit for what they're doing. I mean, even though Ryan Fitzpatrick has not taken a team to the playoffs, which is kind of amazing, but also not when you see that he's gone through so many different teams um, in 17 years, it, I think that he has the chance to do it because... This is a good team around him, and it probably could be one of the best teams he's ever played on around him. I think Miami also last year was one of those squads. So when you look at it that way, he's a guy that will make some mistakes, but he's also not afraid to let it go. And that's something that I think that Washington needs. Look, he's certainly better than what they had last year, and they still went to the playoffs. Now they were seven and nine last year and made it to the playoffs. So I don't necessarily know what that means, but you know maybe they can go uh, nine and eight this year or whatever it's going to be or uh, ten and nine. Oh gosh, I just messed up the numbers. Ten and seven. Kind of seven. Yeah, three. ten and Thank seven. Thank you. Ten and seven. Ten and five and two. <laughs> yeah, something like that, right? Where they make it to the playoffs and maybe they're better it because they have a better QB. So I think Tari Fitzpatrick has at least that potential.
1: Last night on PFTPM, we, we did a little segment where we came up with questions that we would, would ask of quarterbacks because it was a, a takeoff on the Jared Goff social media, ask him any questions, which I'm sure was just a disaster for whichever intern had to pick through those questions. But I'd, I'd love to know from Ryan Fitzpatrick how seriously Miami tried to keep him around because that relief pitcher dynamic was real and there was value in him staying with Miami. And when we had Tua Tonga-Vailoa on the show Super Bowl week, I asked him point blank, do you want Fitzpatrick to come back? And he evaded the question, uh, which doesn't surprise me because, yeah, you don't want that guy hovering over your shoulder. You don't want you want to be the one who's making the throw late in the game with the Raiders defensive player twisting your helmet sideways, and everyone's talking about you that next day and buzzing about what you did for the rest of that night. That was one of the most exciting games of the year, so he didn't want him there. I just wonder whether the Dolphins really wanted him there because now, well, they have Jacoby Brissett, but I'd have more faith in Fitzpatrick being able to conjure up the Fitz magic on demand when replacing... Tua Tonga-Vailoa as that relief pitcher, that Mariano Rivera down in Miami late in the game?
0: Yeah, I I would too. And I think, look, when Tua was starting, Obviously, there were some things that they were doing well. They won more games, certainly. I mean, they had more opportunities to do so. But at the same time, I mean, one of those wins that is credited to Tagovailoa really should go to Ryan Fitzpatrick because it's that Raiders game where he came in and he saved the day. And so if you're still in a situation in 2021 with Tua where you basically can't always trust that he's going to be able to read defenses effectively, then that's a problem. I don't necessarily know how well Jacoby Brissett is going to be able to play that relief pitcher role if it's absolutely necessary. But, I mean, it's something that could certainly happen if Tua Tagovailoa doesn't take the steps necessary to become better. Or, you know, if the Miami Dolphins say, I'm going to choose somebody else at number three overall because they could also have their selection of quarterbacks there.
1: Alright, we're going to take a break. When we return, we're going to play a little game of what's more likely. Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this.
2: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh Reese's you did it. You stumped this charming devil. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like
0: competing on the world's biggest stage. World
2: Go for the United
1: States. Unbelievable!
0: And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What the- Paris Olympics, this summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. What if millions of black Americans had been compensated for slavery? Join me, Tremangely, as I explore the untold story of one of the only Black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of Black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. New episodes drop Thursdays. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: New England Patriots have splurged this week, bringing in new players, keeping old players, doing what they have to do to improve a roster that was good enough for Bill Belichick to will it to 7-9 and nine last year. The improvements they made this year, Miles, I'll tell you, it's, uh, I don't know how it's going to go, but I love the story. Let's delve into it a little more with what's more likely. What's more likely for the Patriots at quarterback? Cam Newton starting 10 or more games for them, or... Jimmy Garoppolo starting 10 or more games for the San Francisco 49ers.
0: What about Jimmy Garoppolo starting 10 or more games for the New England Patriots? Because if that were an option, <laughs> I still might go there. I just, I still don't see Cam Newton being the starting quarterback for that team for the entire season. Maybe it's week one. Maybe they're able to draft somebody and try to develop him on um, wherever they are in that first round pecking order. I just, it's hard for me to think that based on the way we saw Cam Newton play last year, where yes, he was effective at times, but mostly with his legs, that that's still the way they want to play here in 2021. I just, I don't think that Cam Newton's going to start 10 plus games unless they don't have really any options. So I guess to answer the question, I think it's more likely that Jimmy Garoppolo starts 10 or more games for the 49ers.
1: The 49ers were very interested in Mitchell Trubisky, which intrigued me from the perspective of what it would mean to Garoppolo when Trubisky goes to Buffalo and Joe Flacco lands on the radar screen for the 49ers. That's good news for Jimmy Garoppolo as it relates to holding on to his starting job, at least until there's a chance this is all a big ruse until they get Sam Darnold from the Jets, because I still think that is a possibility for the 49ers. It could be they get through round one of the draft and then go get Darnold from the Jets if the Jets take a Kyle Wilson, for example, with the second overall pick. I'm going to say it's more likely that Newton starts 10 or more for the Patriots. I, I, Yeah, they could end up with Jimmy Garoppolo back. They could end up with Marcus Mariota, who's been asked to take a major pay cut by the Las Vegas Raiders. And if he would get cut, maybe he makes his way to New England and that's an intriguing depth chart with Newton and Mariota but I'll I'll say it's more likely Newton starts 10 or more simply because I don't have faith in Garoppolo staying healthy he's missed 23 games over the last three years all right what's more likely Russell Wilson starts fewer than 16 games for the Seahawks by the way he's never missed a game in his nine-year career or Mitchell Trubisky starts at least one game for the Buffalo Bills what's more likely
0: I think it's that Mitchell Trubisky would start one game for the Bills. And it's only because Josh Allen plays in a way that is a little bit dangerous for a QB sometimes. You know, he throws his body around. He's willing to sacrifice and lay out for different things. So I, I would have to say that it's going to be Mitchell Trubisky. But that's why they brought him there. So that if, you know, something happens to Josh Allen, then he can come in, Mitchell Trubisky can, and still at least run the offense pretty effectively. That's why they brought him there. And I think that, look, Russell Wilson is going to be the Seahawks quarterback this year. At least it seems that way right now. And if he's out there, then he's going to play. He's shown some real toughness in the past. I don't see him missing a game this year for them.
1: See, that's where this question becomes difficult, because it's either going to be 16 or none for Russell Wilson in Seattle. Right, The door not entirely shut on a trade. Just because the Bears made an effort to get him that, was not nearly good enough doesn't mean there isn't someone else lurking, waiting for the right time to make their move. Doesn't mean the Seahawks have completely slammed the door on the possibility of trading him because it could be that the situation isn't sustainable with Russell Wilson in Seattle. The things he said several weeks ago, can they mend those fences? Can they compartmentalize? Are they willing to go through a season that would entail plenty of distractions from media during press conferences and questions from that are asked of Pete Carroll and questions asked of Russell Wilson if the team encounters any adversity. So this one's tough for me. I'm gonna go that it's more likely that Wilson starts fewer than 16 simply because there's still a lingering possibility he starts zero. All right. That's I'm still I'm I'm just I love look, it look, I'm not I, I I love a good story, and I still think the better story is another year of Russell Wilson in Seattle with all the dysfunction that may arise. And then we trade him next year. Next year, the the A topic can be, where does Russell Wilson go after a year of chaos in Seattle? So that's kind of what I'm rooting for now.
0: I always root for chaos, too, as long as nobody gets hurt. And in this situation, it doesn't seem like anybody's getting hurt. It just gives us more things to talk about. I love it. Chaos is the ladder.
1: All right, chaos in Chicago, chaos in Washington. Andy Dalton or Ryan Fitzpatrick, which one is more likely to still be the starting quarterback come December. Oh boy.
0: Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, I think, but also, oh no, it's actually Andy Dalton. Uh, it depends on if Washington takes a quarterback. I mean, as you love to say, Magic can become Fitz tragic. Oh, so quickly. Um, and it just seems to inevitably happen. So I don't know what the depth chart's going to look like behind him, but if Washington takes a QB, which I really think that they probably should, then that QB in theory could supplant him much like Tua did last year in Miami. Uh, But then Ryan Fitzpatrick could still be the relief pitcher and the relief pitcher seems to, seems to be. So your answer
1: is. I I think
0: it's Andy Dalton, I guess is still the starting quarterback in December, but I don't feel good about either of those options.
1: As written, the question implies that it's an unbroken chain of starting quarterbacks, still the starter in December. If that's the way it's interpreted, then I say Dalton because while there's a chance Fitzpatrick will be the starter again in December, he ain't making it 16 games. Fitz Tragic will make an appearance at some point, and he'll either be injured or injured, whatever the case may be. Ron Rivera will have seen enough, and it'll be Kyle Allen or Taylor Heineke until he's seen enough of them. And then it's back to Ryan Fitzpatrick. So if it's an unbroken chain, I say Andy Dalton is more likely to still be the starter in December. I, I just – and, and th- this is the, 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 the tendency in me to push back against the popular narrative. The popular narrative that Andy Dalton sucks I think is wrong. And so I'm going to push back against it. And I, I think the Bears may be on to something here, especially with, as we discussed last hour, the reduced expectations. So I, I, hate, I hate the thought – as a, a childhood Vikings fan, I hate the thought that I'm actually going to be rooting for the Bears this year.
0: Well, you know, if you don't love me now, you'll never love me again. I can still hear him saying, "You'll never break the chain." I don't, just got to throw some Fleetwood Mac in there. You just kept talking about the chain, man.
1: Well done, well i I like that, and uh, shows uh, shows that you know more bands than the one that you mentioned last hour that I've already forgotten. What was it? Bad, bad, good, <laughs> bad, 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 not bad, <laughs> bad, bad. Leroy bad, Brown. Not
0: good. Not <laughs> right. okay.
1: oh let's take it let's take a break when <laughs> yeah. we return now you know pl- plenty of positivity the first week of free agency has become a lot like the first day of the draft where every move made is a great one we're gonna do a draft and this is a dangerous one of moves that we think will eventually have teams saying what the hell were we thinking we'll do that next on pft live <laughs> So, this came out recently, Miles, what do you think of that? The Browns' throwbacks that were leaked a couple of weeks ago, the Browns had no response to a request for comment from us as to whether or not those are the real thing, which means those are the real thing.
0: Yes. Yeah. No, I love those. I did. I, when I saw those, man, I thought that they looked great. I love that old look, you know, like the Jim Brown era of the Browns back when they were really, really, really good. Yeah, I love, I love those things. I think they're great.
1: The trends swing back around. The shadow letters were in in the mid '90s, and now here we are, nearly 30 years later. They're going to be in again until they're out, and then they'll be back in 30 years later. All right, uh, free agency has been in since the early '90s as well. It's become something that makes the NFL a a 12-month-per-year obsession and a huge deal in the month of March. We have our highest traffic totals of the year during this week of free agency as everyone is looking to see how their team is going to get better. And there are always shouts of optimism from the various fan bases out there as they see these moves. And, and I've noticed a trend toward making free agency a lot like the first night of the draft where there's never a bad thing said about any one of these moves. So free agent signings, and I'm going to broaden it. I'm going to take the license here to broaden it. Any of the moves this week, that will cause us to say, yeah, I well, because trust me, there aren't a lot of free agency signings I'm going to look at and say they're going to make us say what, so we got to be creative. Any moves okay. this week that eventually will make us say what were they thinking? And here's the trivia question to determine whether or not Miles gets the first pick. The Browns won 11 games this year, the most since 1994. In 1994, Vinny Testaverdi started 13 games for the Browns. Who started... The other three games that year at quarterback, winning two of them.
0: Oh no, this is bad. I wow, well, oh I said you'd know it.
1: You did say I'd know it during the break. I, I yeah,
0: I, I have no idea. Like Brett Ripon, I don't know. That's not right. I don't who know. who Brett Rippian? Who? I have no idea.
1: Ah, uh, you were so close. Should we give him that one? It was Mark Rippon. It was Mark Rippon. Was yeah, it really? Rippian. Oh my it gosh. was Mark Rippon. Uh, is that I who you were Brett. thinking of is I, that
0: you were thinking of Brett's I, son. I have no well I, then i guess that's why wow that's really interesting that i was that close huh okay
1: yeah you don't were just making it sounds no, I don't get it. that's the thing you were just making sounds <laughs> and you were close <laughs> i had no
0: i had no confidence that's what happens when i have no confidence i'm just like Ugh. yeah no but I you, was, are, I was you are the,
1: for, you are yeah. familiar with with uh mark rippon former super bowl mvp in fact he was a super bowl mvp for the season during that capped the year in which you were born so i would think you would know who mark rippon is my
0: football consciousness sort of starts like in the late '90s, like especially in 1999. That's the first Super Bowl I remember. God,
1: that is so Sorry. depressing. <laughs> well, <I know. laughs> so depressing. <laughs> you
0: also got to you also got to think like I didn't have a football team in my city from 1996 to 1998, so that's probably part of it. Yeah. But yeah, the greatest show on turf. That's that's the one that's seared into my memory is the first one that I, I got in there.
1: All right, I got the first pick then. And and this is difficult because, look, this year there weren't as many business free agency decisions as there were football free agency decisions. None of these ridiculous over-the-top contracts where somebody just wants to sell tickets like an Albert Hainsworth type of a thing. Teams had less cap space. They had to be more strategic and surgical in who they, uh, they actually went ahead and signed. Um, so... I, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to predict that um, we are going to say in a few years that what were the Patriots thinking when they paid Matthew Judon. I, I think that that's Ooh. the one that stands out to me. That's, that feels like the one that, that – just because the way that defense works, they, they really never have one guy in the front seven that generates a ton of sacks and a ton of stats. It's going to be hard for him to earn the money. And and I I just I just have a feeling I just have a feeling that of all the guys signed this week and maybe the Patriots went for sheer volume and they understand some of these guys aren't going to work out. I think Judon's the one that the Patriots signed in a few years that we're going to say maybe they shouldn't have done that.
0: Yeah, I mean, there are definitely going to be some from the Patriots just by, like you said, in sheer volume that we're going to be like, whoa, I can't believe that they actually signed that guy when they then went on to win, what, 10, 9, 11 games that it's going to be because that just seems to be who the Patriots are. Um, But so I'm glad that you said that we could expand this to any move that was made because I was just going to do it anyway because you have a tendency to break the rules, so I was just going to do it. But Von Miller. With the Broncos, I think is going to be something that we're going to look back on, even you know, in the regular season this year, and be like, wait a minute, why did the Broncos decide to pay him eighteen million when this is the production that they're getting out of him? Because look, we just don't know a how healthy Von Miller is going to be, and b if he's going to be the guy that's going to get the double digit sacks again. If you look at what he did in that last healthy year that he had in twenty nineteen, he only had eight sacks, and so. Is he going to be the Von Miller that we knew, you know, the Von Miller that was MVP of Super Bowl 50? I just don't quite know. And I don't know how much that really makes them better, even though it's almost like you're doing a back pay thing. Like, you made us so good, Von. You're one of the best players we've ever had in franchise history. Yes, we want to reward you for that. But I think especially in a year with the depressed cap, you got to pay guys for what they're going to do, not what they've done.
1: I still hold out the possibility that new GM George Payton has made a seven million dollar gamble that by guaranteeing that portion of Von Miller's salary of eighteen million, they preserve the ability to trade Von Miller. I I I I think that that potentially is on the radar screen because since Payton is new to the organization, he's got nothing invested emotionally in Von Miller. He can view him purely and simply as an asset, like these teams view all players, but when you have no history with a guy, it's even easier. That's something to keep in mind. Next one for me, I'll say Shaquille Griffin, even though it's only a three-year deal with the Seattle Seahawks. that one This guy isn't regarded as one of the top corners. He was available, and I think the Jaguars are just spending because they can, spending because they want their fans to buy season tickets. This is all new to Urban Meyer, and I've heard some criticisms from and 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 look, it's a competitive field, and I don't like to dabble in these objective anonymous opinion—not objective, but subjective anonymous opinions. Slight difference. Uh, but but one of the criticisms is, what what do they think in paying all that money to Shaquille Griffin? So if it's good enough for people around the league to think, it's good enough for me to think too.
0: Okay, that's interesting. I mean, I think that that's it's one of those things where if you're trying to turn around a one in fifteen team, you've got to overpay for some people, even if. You know, you don't think that they're all that great. So maybe it works out. Maybe it doesn't. But I think that that one could be one where you're like scratching your head a little bit later. I have probably like three Raiders things that I could go to
1: because
0: (laughs) their entire week has been very confusing to me. But I'm going to go with Kenyon Drake because he's somebody who's good. He's fast. You know, he is somebody that can make plays. But when you have somebody like a Josh Jacobs, who you want to be your every down back, you want to be your bell cow, you want to be the workhorse. And then also you, you know get rid of a lot of the offensive line. And some of those guys have still been there. Um, so it's not like they're integrating completely new people, but you're also guaranteeing him a five and a half million dollar roster bonus this year. What's, what's that about? I, I don't know about all that for a running back. Like, and then I read that they want to have him in the Lynn Bowden role, which, you know, does that mean that they're going to trade him in August before he ever plays a snap for the team? I don't know. I guess if that's what they want, that's what they could do. But that one that one was a head-scratcher for me.
1: Uh, unless they plan on having Kenyon Drake gain 100 pounds and play right guard, the move made no sense to me whatsoever. Because you're right, Josh Jacobs is the guy who's the banger for them. He's the guy they build that running game around. And and I'm surprised Drake wanted to go there with an incentive-laden deal. Uh, Unless unless the Raiders are still cooking up some sort of a trade package for Russell Wilson that will include Josh Jacobs. Let's not rule that out completely. Derek Carr, Josh Jacobs, Jonathan Abram, three first-round picks. Can't rule anything out with John Gruden. We've seen how unpredictable he can be just this year. Don't don't rule that out. Uh, maybe that's the explanation for it. All right. Um, next one for me. Hmm. Boy, I'm I I I I always I don't want to get 20 emails. Why do you hate the Rams? So I'm gonna skip this one. I'm gonna say Aww. the decision of the Bears to not rescind the franchise tender from Allen Robinson. That's more of a short-term, but also a long-term, what were you thinking? Because they visited with Kenny Galladay. They clearly were thinking about dumping the the franchise tag for Robinson. $17.9 million. When we look back at the cap impact of this year, how it's going to affect teams in the future, because it's less money you can carry over to future years. Some teams are going to have more. Some will have less. It's a lot of money to invest in Allen Robinson in a depressed market. They'd have been better off stripping that tender and going out and finding other receivers elsewhere as that market softens and softens and softens. I, I otherwise was going to say, why did the Rams put a first-round tender on Darius Williams? Because uh, that that is a waste of a million and a half dollars for a team that desperately needs the money.
0: I, I was just going to say that because I like that's something that I know you wrote about because I read that article from you, Mike. So there we go. I read those texts too. It's a callback to earlier in the show, folks, there. Yes. Uh, but I'm going to go with uh, Trey Hendrickson for from the Bengals um for good, my last take here because yeah you, you think so I just think without Cam Jordan on the other side of him he's he's probably going to struggle and look if Cincinnati is what Cincinnati is we don't know if they're going to be any good or not I mean I you know you want Joe Burrow to do well especially after coming off the knee injury but I just I don't know I think that that signing in particular when he doesn't have somebody opposite him that's really good that one could go down was one of those where you're really scratching your head.
1: They let Carl Lawson walk for $15 million a year and they pay Trey Hendrickson $15 million a year. And the point I always make in free agency, the fact that the guy is even available, that the team that had him for multiple years didn't want to keep him is a red flag in and of itself. So we'll see how these moves work out. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFC Live right after this.
0: Are you guys fielding trade offers for gardner Minshew at this point Are you willing to move him if you get the right offer
2: at this point no at, at this point I, I i i know gardner a little bit i'm he came in yesterday we spent had a good visit uh that's the second time i have spent time with him this is all kind of new to me uh, you know i'm used to spending about five six hours a day with our quarterback you know that's January and February is the days to get your quarterback ready to go, and you can't do that in the the, the NFL. So, um, you know, there's a lot of anticipation about the first pick, and I understand, you know, there's a lot of conversation out there, but there has been no decisions made. Gardner's done some very good things here in Jacksonville, and he's a competitive maniac, which I really appreciate that about him. So there's been no decisions made. Uh, Yesterday was the first lengthy meeting we had, and we're going to continue that here for the next few weeks.
1: That's Urban Meyer from earlier this morning talking about the reports that the Jaguars were fielding calls about Gardner Minshew. I mean, the reality is they're going to take Trevor Lawrence uh, unless they decide to take Kyle Wilson instead. But uh, Minshew's under contract for two more years at a very reasonable rate. You could keep him around as your backup. And I think that's what the Jaguars have to weigh, Miles.
0: Yeah, if you, you have somebody who has experience like Gardner Minshew does, I think that it makes sense to keep him around just in case. Whenever you have a guy like that, who has played games and has started games for you, you're at least not going to throw him into the fire and think, oh, no, we're not even going to be able to get lined up at the line of scrimmage.
1: And Mike Glennon was the guy who actually sent Minshew to the bench last year. He has signed with the Giants, so it's not like he'll be back as the backup. But uh, it'll be an upset if they don't take Trevor Lawrence with the first overall pick. That's it for this Friday edition of PFT Live. Have a great weekend. See you Monday.